This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufall and Stephen Mareska. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufall. Uh, joining me, as always, Stephen Mareska and Matt Fisaro. Hey, hey guys. There. Hello. Uh, so, we're, we're coming back with essentially episode one in certain ways, right? So, we want to talk about security fundamentals again. Uh, revisiting the topic, I think, for a couple of the reasons, right? We we just recently had that rebrand uh, where we've combined you know, our infrastructure and security divisions, and we've been talking about it a lot internally, right? As we, as I think we continue to reinforce with everybody the the importance of fundamentals and some of the real security uh, core elements that we've talked about. But I think you know we've done a lot of instant response over well, over the last couple of years, and certainly since we've recorded last, and I think. You know, our our list has grown a little bit, right? So we want to add a couple of additions to this. Um, you know, I think what I want to throw out before we start getting into our list of what exactly are these controls, uh, I'll ask it slightly differently. Is there anybody who shouldn't implement these fundamentals? I mean, I'd say probably not. <laughs> I mean, we, we've been talking about security tools worth using for everyone. For 20, yeah. 20 years, 25 years, if you really think about it, it you know, early 90s, if you're paying close attention and you had a computer back then, right? It, everybody should have some sort of reasonable defense. The degree, the variety and complexity, yeah, it varies, but it applies to everybody. But it's a loaded question, right? I mean, yeah, they're, fundamental, they're fundamentals for a reason. Right. And, and, right. and honestly, I think when we go through this, they're fundamentals... In some ways, if you're an individual just trying to maintain you know, your personal workstation at home or whether you're a company, right? And it might just be the degree to which you do these things. So so let's take a step back. What do we mean by fundamentals? I mean, I hear that and I think steps that every single person or organization needs to take to fulfill their minimum defensive uh, expectations for security. And I would I would argue if we go through this list, Almost all of them can be done for free. Uh, you know, there, there's a couple in here that I think that probably might have a cost. It might be a little bit more robust than your home user, but for the most part, there cost isn't a barrier to doing these. It's just a matter of making sure that you've got the sort of the operational maturity or at least some routine built in to do these things, or just forethought, which is right. you know half the half the battle. Right. Yeah. Making sure you've got a process to do this and make sure you're spending time on it. Someone following up and saying, "Hey, you know, did we do these things?" This year or this month or this quarter, whatever it is. Right, right. And, and you know, this year sounds long, but the reality is in some cases it is, hey, at least you did that last year, right? Which is right. better than not doing it at all. Uh, all right. So, so we're all comfortable saying every single person who's listening to this, it's a valuable podcast because it's something that you can do personally, you know, at your workplace, whatever it is, but everybody needs to be doing this. This is yeah. the preventative maintenance on your vehicle. Or your right. your health kind of conversation for security. It's then in the art of motorcycle maintenance. Remember that <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. um, so step one, right? And, and boy, this it doesn't get any more basic than this, right? Update your systems. Uh, I just had a conversation with somebody the other day, really a really small uh, doctor's practice, where I said the word patch, and they had no idea what that meant. So the the two things I think we want to talk about are patching and vulnerability management, right? Sure. Your computer's nagging yeah. you. Yeah. Do what it's asking. Right. It, it's it. for a reason. Yeah. It, so much software 
is out there now. You, you, you probably have a lot more installed these days than you did before. And we're finding vulnerabilities faster and faster, which means attackers are finding it faster. Just patching those, you, you take that low bar of entry away. It's easy to do. So from a basic PC or Mac, I guess, system, they're going to update automatically, right? They, they've got settings to simply download patches and install them on a, on a regular basis, probably monthly or, or something like I, that. If you're, if you're in an organization that enforces it, sure. Home users, uh, they turn that stuff off all the time. Yeah. Always. I mean, from a personal standpoint, um, you most people probably are not doing that. You should, um, especially these days there, you know, there's so much more personal information online. You should probably follow those steps, but in an organization, yeah, those things should be just by policy, by, um, by definition should be done. If you as an individual have been, um, you know, habitually hitting ignore or defer or tell me later yeah. about a, Right. about an update uh you know sit down this afternoon and be inconvenienced for an hour but you know let it happen because it's something that at, at the very least will put you in a better position than most of the incidents uh that have been caused by a, a vulnerability right and and you know we've seen in the incident response work we've done you know attackers commonly take advantage of missing patches yep or, you know, vulnerabilities that haven't been addressed that can be exploited, right? Because it's the quickest, it's frankly, the quickest way to to get access to a, to a company or exploit a system, whatever that might be. Right. It, if something is fully patched, the odds are very good that an attacker has to expend more energy, more effort. And that means that they might stop. That means that they might look elsewhere. That only helps you withstand some sort of targeted attention. Um, that said, you know, Patching is just part of the problem, and you mentioned vulnerabilities. What, what we mean by that is actually the regular discovery and correction of flaws that are in systems. And that does not need to be a very onerous exercise. It may simply be going to the vendor's website of a piece of software and checking to see if there's some sort of an advisory right. that, that there's something amiss. More involved organizations, you know, you use vulnerability scanners they will tell you where the flaws exist and then simply make a plan to correct them in priority order. Right. I know a lot of organizations try to, well, I should say that IT directors of these organizations try to get this done. The business tells them no. Right. Right. That's we can't common. have downtime, whatever the, the excuse Right. We're worried be. about our application. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Stability of application or it's a vendor system that, hey, we have a contract. They should be doing that. Right. And then three years later, you find out it's still the same system. Right. <laughs> right. So vulnerability management is one of those things that is a perpetual task. Right. It never really ends. Same thing with patching. Um, the, the goal is not necessarily to get to zero vulnerabilities. That's, in most cases, it's hard an do, impossibility. Yeah. Uh, the, the better outcome is to document the risks that might impact the business, might impact you as an individual, if you're sophisticated enough to be running a vulnerability scanner in your home stuff. And then, you know, carve away at the things that might, harm the systems where your data is located or where your key business software is, is running. That's it. So two elements, patching and vulnerability management, for a large part, both free. Uh, I mean, there, you know, a lot of this information exists for free. You can often run some scans. They might be a little bit more basic, but you can do that for free and make some substantive progress uh, from a security standpoint. And returning to the forethought comment I made earlier, it's okay to simply say we will not be solving this particular vulnerability because it doesn't impact us. Right. Sure. Reasonable. 
document it and move on. So moving maybe from a little bit less of a technical discussion uh, to something that I think every organization should be doing, which is security awareness training. Are you having discussions around basic and widely known security risks, right? Like phishing, uh, like running phishing awareness tests, right? Like doing social engineering experience. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of things in this space, but you know, we are certainly we're real advocates of a well-trained workforce is your probably your first and best defense against a lot of these really common social engineering attacks that we see. Right. And the the truth of it is that attackers in today's world abuse trust more often than they do abuse some of the, um, the system flaws. We're talking about vulnerabilities, right? That's a part of the problem, but people are predictable more so than computers. And if an attacker can convince someone to give away their password, there's no system flaw that they need to exploit. They're in the door. So people and their tendencies are what need to be reinforced. And um, an aware staffer is frankly better than someone who's operating obliviously. This does not need to be uh, awareness training about what attackers are doing or how they operate. That's beside the point. Technical discussions for security awareness training are not super helpful. but talking about privacy, the data that's being used on an everyday basis by a given staffer, simply being aware of that data and its importance to outside parties is enough to change behavior and make people be a little more cautious about how they interact with it. Yeah, I'd say, you know, look for programs or try to implement programs that aren't um, motivational versus habitual, right? You want more habitual type of training and material that you can give your employees. Don't just because, oh, hey, we saw a phishing email today. We should do a security awareness training for everybody. Or, hey, we'll do it once a year. That falls off so fast. You know, people don't learn that way either. Right. right? They, you need reinforcement. You need it to be habitual. Create habits for that people can um, can use every day. You'll get better results out of that. Yeah. And, and frankly, a lot of organizations have regular meetings, right? Whether they're, if it's a small company, you might be meeting you know, on a monthly basis. Spend five minutes on security awareness topics, yep. right? Like, you know, threats of the month or, you know, things that we want to see improvement on. These don't have to be really long and complicated presentations. And, you know, for, for actual programmatic phishing training, there are services, they're cheap, they're effective. You should use them. Right. Um, they are far more uh, capable at delivering a phishing training uh, via email than, you know, rolling your own. And there's always a risk of, you know, perception. You don't want your, your, staff to feel like you're targeting them. It's intended to bolster security and awareness, not necessarily make people feel um, like they're being accused of missing something. Yeah. I, I feel a lot of places kind of stop there too, which I know it can be difficult to go much past that. You know, lots of people are just busy with their business. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, if you, if you can go beyond the the scheduled phishing emails and you know, even if it's just talking about why certain data in your company matters or why it would matter if it left the organization, that's that's good enough too, right? We're edging into a segue to the, the later parts of our discussion today. And just to help with that bridge, security awareness training is one of those expectations that outside entities want to see in businesses. Examples include um, insurers, banks, you know, other agencies that are sharing data with a business. They want to know that your staff is thinking about that sort of thing 
and it helps to facilitate business as much as it does to protect a business. So, I mean, it's fine in, in a way to do some of that segue now, right? It, the, there are a couple of new additions to our list uh, for probably two reasons, right? We're starting to see insurance carriers and regulatory requirements really push a couple of technologies that we have seen make tremendous difference uh, as it relates to sort of incident preparedness, incident protection, uh, you know, two factor, two factors certainly being one of those, right? And I think it makes our list anyway, because it's such a valuable way to protect credentials, but it's also now becoming a requirement from a, for, for a lot of different entities. Right. And it, let, let's be expansive on that subject. Two-factor, multi-factor, uh, uh, two-phase authentication. There are lots of different variants on the subject. And it doesn't have to be a technology you employ in, ter in terms of your internal systems. But if you're working with an email provider or a bank or some other piece of software or service, enable that function when logging in so that you get a text message, so that you get prompted on your phone. Simply doing that will ensure that the loss of a password doesn't mean that your systems are impacted or your data is impacted. The, for me, two-factor, I mean, it, it's such a core requirement and we see entities not employ it a lot of times because people feel like it's a, it's a hindrance, right? It's a, it's a security control that is too inconvenient. Uh, and, and I would argue it's probably one of the most important things you can do now. And it's yeah. relatively easy to implement technically. In my opinion, a lot of it's just a communication exercise internally. Uh, and the value is, is so significant. I would say fully half of the incidents we run would not have occurred. Right. If two-factor, multi-factor authentication would have been in place. Or, or at least, you know, second stage type thing. So right. after they, they first get in, there's systems that they gain access to. They should have just had multi-factor. Right. Prevent right. all of it. Um, so sort of staying in that credential protection space, uh, yeah, I, password management is certainly a baseline requirement or, or maybe password and, and role management to some degree, right? Like mm -hmm. understanding what users you have configured for your systems, what capabilities those people have, and you know, do you actually have sufficiently long passwords such that people can't, you know, simply guess them or maybe programmatically guess them, but you know, you can make those passwords uh, less accessible. Right. D defend the credentials, the keys to your environment. Um, that's, a, that's an eloquent way to put it. That's a lot better than what I just said. <laughs> well, the, the truth is that we have a legacy of, let's say, misinformed credential management, misinformed password management, changing passwords every 30 days. Let's be honest. I'm confident everyone that listens has heard of such a practice, been participated uh, participating in it or forced to perform it. And the behaviors that you know are associated with that are yeah. formulaic passwords that do not increase security. They just promote bad behavior. So if you have anything that resembles that, you know, in an in organizational environment, it might be worth revisiting. The guidance that used to motivate that type of practice has been rescinded by standards bodies right. internationally. And the approach these days is longer passwords that are easier to remember that are more complicated. Right. Um. So I think there's, there's two more specific things that we wanted to, to discuss. Um, and I don't, you know, interesting. I don't know that we actually mentioned this in our first recording, uh, but the need for robust backups that are, you know, stored offline and available in the event of an attack. Uh, and this can be, again, this doesn't have to be complicated. Going back, Matt, to what you had said around, hey, maybe some things you only do once a year. 
clearly you want more routine backups than annually, but <laughs> yeah. it's better to have an annual backup something, than no backup something. at all. Yeah. Right. And I don't know how many just friends I've had who've lost, you know, data from compromised laptops where if they just had a year old backup, sure, there'd be a gap. It'd be unfortunate, but it's better than everything. From a business standpoint, there's obviously more robust ways to do it. Yeah. I mean, there. short story here that I actually was involved in a uh, incident once, if you will, where a backup system um, physically failed on a school. And the recovery process of that, because they had nothing offsite, um, no redundant backup system or anything like that, right? So they just had this one storage array. The result was um, a group of about five to 10 people for a month straight copying and literally scanning documents Oof. into a file share for that school. What a waste of time. Right. And, <laughs> and, and talk about you know, demoralizing, demotivating, oh, right, yeah. all of that. Yep. Total loss of confidence in IT. Right. Yeah. As you would, well, in a way, probably somewhat justified. Like there's no excuse right. for that. Right. I'd, I'd even, you know, go back to something you said a moment ago. Annual backups may be sufficient for some organizations. It's about, you know, deciding what makes sense from a business process standpoint. How much pain are you willing to tolerate? If you're an accounting company or an accounting CPA who has an LLC, but you're one guy, you do taxes once a year. Maybe that's enough for your clientele. It could be. But use an appropriate level of backup for your business cycles. How much right. would it hurt if you lose something that's a week old? If it's a lot, you should back up once a week. Right. You know, just be thoughtful about the backup and make sure you have multiple copies. That's it. And and honestly, that discussion, right? What you just said, you know, thinking about what the impact would be if you actually lost a system or data or something like that, right? You just did a business impact analysis. It, right? These don't these don't <laughs> have to be really complicated engagements with an external provider to think through what bad things might happen if this event occurred. Right. The, the alternate title for this episode should be uh, "Security Common Sense." <laughs> Truly, actually, maybe maybe that's not to be alternate. Maybe we could just call it that. <laughs> um, the and I think finally, uh, I'll, I'll lead straight with an acronym, and I'll let one of you guys define it. Right, which is everybody now is this you know insurance providers and everybody they're pushing the idea of of EDR. Right, uh, who wants to tackle EDR? Sure, I will. I mean, our, I lead our practice on. I, mean, I guess that's should. <laughs> so EDR endpoint detection and response. Um, you could think of it as the uh, the, the new antivirus, right? Um, essentially, gathering lots of data from an endpoint so that if something does happen, you have lots of information to go back on, um, a timeline to refer to. Uh, it typically also involves some type of threat detection so that it can stop what's going on. So protection and detection at the same time. So true. I, quite honestly, I don't know. I don't know personally if I would add this to a fundamental list. We love seeing it. It's great. We know insurance companies are really requiring it now, but it can be tough for some businesses to do anything with what an EDR can produce, mm. right? You typically need someone that knows what they're doing to look at an EDR and say, Oh, okay, there's the problem. Here's how it happened. Right. What I would say in response to that is that while I would agree with you, mm -hmm. even a small business with no staff that's minding the shop, so to speak, in terms of IT and EDR would still be benefited by that type of platform in an after the fact oh, type of sure. scenario. Yep. If an incident occurs, at least there would be some modicum of data to go on. Um, I, I mean, 
Traditional antivirus just doesn't cut it. I, I describe that yeah. to our customers as like a 30% to 40% success rate. That's, that's realistic. Um, you don't want old school antivirus, which is like the, the conductor on a train checking a ticket. And that's it. They're done. Um, EDR, to contrast to that, is equivalent to someone monitoring all the time and making sure that behavior, even within the, uh, you know, the train car, so to speak, that's already had people admitted uh, continues to be safe. And it's, it's worthwhile. Yep. So the, you know, the reason that I hesitated putting out on the list is I feel like everything that we've discussed can largely be done for free, but I don't know that EDR can. Yeah. I guess that's kind of why I gravitate towards the, I don't know if it really should be on the list or not. I completely agree with Steve. Yes. It's great for after action or something like that. Um, but yeah, the, the price point for an EDR is tough for a lot of people. Right. Um, you know, you're not talking about a couple bucks most of the time. Right. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're reasonably, but Leo, you know, but the quality is better. And, and right. certainly you know, we're, we're seeing a significant you know, industry move in this direction, right? There's a lot of EDR vendors out there uh, and be a lot of really competent and capable products uh, pushes by insurance carriers and some other you know, regulatory requirements. Uh, but I do struggle because it's not like every business is going to be able to afford to get into it. Uh, it AV is accessible to everybody in, in spite of it being maybe not as effective. So, on th- you know, on that note, reevaluate what antivirus you have in place. Right. Yep. There are potentially better solutions out there. And, you know, if it was something that was put into place a decade ago, it's probably time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to run down the list really quickly before we wrap up. Uh, and, you know, we certainly talked about you know, patching and vulnerability management, like, basically totally free. A lot of this stuff is actually built right into your, your operating system. So the systems you run, um, discuss, have conversations around security threats, right? Security awareness training internally. It can be, you know, made complicated. It can be really easy if you just have some basic conversations. Focus a little bit on phishing. Make sure folks understand sort of data privacy uh, requirements for sure. Um, talk about credential management, you know, password management, look at multi-factor, two-factor, right? There's a variety of ways to describe that. Um, really, I think two-factor has become such a standard now uh, that we want people to utilize that. Um, obviously, back up your data. I think the idea of having a, a business impact analysis, even if it's a discussion around the conference room table with the people who you know, know something about the business, do that and take steps accordingly. And then look at you know, AV or, or EDR, right? EDR being the gold standard, right. uh, if you can potentially afford it. Uh, any, any parting thoughts at all? I mean, I, th- I think if you're, if you're just getting your security plan started, this, this is a nice little template. Hit these few things as best you can, and it's a pretty big bang for not so much buck, right? right? So. And, and stick a calendar uh, note to review exactly the same thing yep. next year. Right. Don't make it more complicated than it has to be. Uh, so with that, you know, as always, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you know, we'd love to hear feedback. Maybe there's somebody who thinks that we've missed the fundamental or you know, wants to argue a little bit more whether EDR should be on there. Uh, if so, you know, contact us at Vancourt on LinkedIn or Vancourt Security at Twitter, and we can continue the conversation. Uh, and as always, thanks for joining us today. We hope you got something value out of this. Stay vigilant. Stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.